Welcome everybody to the Extra Credit Show. I am Anselmo Moreno. I'm Richard David. And we are back again with another podcast this week to help you guys master your credit score and get the extra credit that you guys deserve. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm doing fantastic as well. Uh, we got a fun, fun episode this week. I uh, got a couple surprises for you. Uh, and we're just going to hash a few things out uh, on this podcast today. And specifically, we're going to be talking about a very common problem that consumers run into when they go buy a car. It has nothing to go, do with politics. Yeah, when they go uh, try to buy a car, maybe they're out shopping, trying to kick some tires and uh, consumers complain about this all the time. And they say the dealer ruined my credit because they they ran a gazillion inquiries on my credit report. Or we sometimes refer to that as shotgunning your credit, which means there's a bunch of inquiries that show up on the you know in a very short amount of time. And so consumers that are under the impression that inquiries uh, can decrease your credit score or negatively impact your credit report um, get really upset when they realize that the car dealership ran their credit umpteenth times. And if they go to several different dealerships, uh, it could happen two or three or four times. So next thing you know, you could have you can go from zero inquiries to like 40, you know, or 15 inquiries or 20 inquiries. However, many number you want to put on it is just a lot in a very short amount of time. That is correct. So I can't tell you how many times I've had a consumer um, reach out to us and say, I'm pissed, this happened, and my credit is, you know, dropped by X amount of points, and or they just assume that their credit is technically ruined, and we, we try to diffuse that as best as we can. Have you ran into those issues? Oh, all the time. To this day, I still have uh, consumers that come in and, you know, they, they've gone to auto mom and pop dealership or you know, even a big major dealership, and then they'll they'll go apply for a car, and all of a sudden they see like ten inquiries all at once. Yeah, and so there was this consumer who maybe she listens to the show, maybe <laughs> not, but her her name is Emily Long, and she thought she would be smart, and she decided to visit a dealership and say, "I'm already pre qualified with this particular bank," and so she said uh, she told the dealer's employee that she was already pre-qualified with a specific bank. And she said, I only grant you permission to run my credit report for use with this specific lender that I'm already pre-qualified for. Mm -hmm. So she put that restriction there uh, to the car dealership salesperson. Mm -hmm. And so despite the dealer allegedly agreeing to uh, Mrs. Long's request, um, the dealer submitted her credit application to multiple other companies. Mm. Um, and so Long, uh, Emily Long claimed that the dealer intentionally disregarded the restricted scope of authority she provided and therefore used her credit application for an impermissible purpose in violation of the FCRA, the Fair I, Credit Reporting Act. I have a question about that, uh, inquire more about that. Was this restriction verbally or in writing? Did she actually write in this restriction in the in the authorization? She request? wrote it in. It was okay. a written, written, written uh, uh, restriction. I see. So guess what she did? What? She sued them, mm -hmm. right? She sued them uh, for violating the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, obviously, this is this is interesting to me when I saw it. Uh, this um, it's like wow, she she really. I mean, what would what what would happen if you go to a dealership and say, "Look, guys, I'm pre-qualified through XYZ Bank, so I'm here. Um, I want to buy this car and only finance me through this bank. You know, you have no other business financing me or attempting to finance me with other banks." Um, and so the dealer disregarded that, even though allegedly agreeing to to her restriction, 
and she sued them for violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And obviously, she's asserting that the dealer's conduct caused her to suffer emotional distress and who knows how many damages. And so now it's interesting, guys, because this isn't a small, simple case. I mean, the Fair Credit Reporting Act is a federal act. So mm -hmm. she's suing in federal court mm -hmm. um, and no attorney is going to do this on a contingency basis. Like mm -hmm. she's spending big bucks just to bring this to court. Mm -hmm. um, so I always find this kind of stuff fascinating because this is how... I mean, this is how uh, future credit uh, laws get shaped. Um, so, in essence, uh, what do you think about that, Richard? Like, and That's, what do you think the court ruled? Well, it's a tricky situation because although they did technically not adhere to to the stipulation that she placed on there, um, from my understanding, and I'm no attorney, by the way, but from my understanding, in order to sue someone successfully you have to show damages. And if even if they were to pull credit from 10, 11, 12, 100 lenders, okay, they are still considered during the window shopping period. So her score didn't suffer more than it would have even if they had only pulled one inquiry. And in my opinion, there are no real damages there. Therefore, there's, there's, no, there's no loss, there's no suffrage. Um, I mean- She's claiming emotional distress. Um, so how do you quantify that? Obviously, that's up for that's up legal for, arguments to exactly. figure out. But is there a provision in the Fair Credit Reporting Act that like specifically assigns a dollar amount per violation? There is. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, I believe it's up to $1,000 per violation. Uh, so then could an argument, and I'm not saying that this this is not an argument that they apparently made, but could an argument have been made that every excessive inquiry other than what she allowed is a potential violation? It and is a she, violation of the FCRA, okay? And that's why I said this is a tricky case because they did actually violate the FCRA. They did uh, go above and beyond what was what was agreed upon in the um, authorization. But were there any actual damages caused? And you brought up the emotional distress. That's something that I can't quantify or something that I can't, I can't opinionate on. Again, I'm no attorney. I just don't see any real damages on the credit score. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we know, and we've talked about this on the show before, where, um, so first of all, inquiries aren't even that bad. No. You know, they're 10% of your score, they count for 12 months against you, and they report for 24 months. Mm -hmm. So by the time the 12 months go, come and go, these inquiries don't even count against you anymore. Um, and in two years, they're, it's like they never happen. So, so first of all, don't freak out about inquiries. Mm -hmm. Second of all, depending on the credit score model, uh, most inquiries for auto loans and mortgage loans done in a short amount of time uh, will all count as one. It's, it's called the window shopping period. You know, so technically, even though the credit was quote unquote shotgunned for this car dealership, um, they all technically for credit scoring purposes, they all counted as one, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that that is a very common, uh, like, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a defense built into the credit scoring system, but it's obviously a logical a mechanism in the credit scoring system that they said, look, consumers go out and they shop, they try to get the best deals, the best rates. So if car dealerships run credit in a short amount of time, you know, we know that the consumer is not going to buy 20 cars. We just know that they're trying to get the best deal, right? So they're going to shop 20 banks. And so that's really the logic behind not counting 20 inquiries against you when you're car shopping. And so technically, you know, I don't think she suffered any particular damages. Um, Emotional distress, obviously, who knows? I mean, she probably did freak out, but she didn't understand that she had no real reason to freak out other than the dealer 
maybe didn't keep their word, right? And that could upset her. And, and, and that is also one of those things that theoretically could be uh, very damaging because if they don't even keep their word on the inquiries, how do you know they're going to keep their word in the actual contract time? Yeah. So, you know, very untrustworthy. I, I would call it, um, I, I wouldn't quite call it underhanded, but something close to it. You know, obviously it's um, not good business to to not agree to, to agree to something and then not follow through, especially a, a big business like a car dealership. And if they represent a big brand, um, it could potentially be damaging to them. But, you know, moment of truth, uh, the court recently ruled on this. They actually ruled October 4th. Um, Oh, wow. And so I got the answer. And it's kind of unfair because I knew the answer before I even asked you. Well, see, <laughs> you know, emotionally, I think that uh, she shouldn't really have won. But intellectually, who knows? Nowadays, I we get rulings for all kinds of crazy reasons. This is always the stuff that really fascinates me, though, uh, is the court's logic behind it. Yeah. So check this out. The court held um, that the car dealership acted within the scope of permissible purpose granted by Long. Uh -huh. So they're saying that specifically, and they quote the section of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the authority to search out lenders for Long so that she could obtain financing for a vehicle is mm -hmm. a statutorily defined permissible purpose. Yes. Um, and so the court explained that permissible purpose was not violated despite Emily Long's attempts to restrict her authority to a specific lender. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ruling is that under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, a business does not require the consent of the potential customer so long as it has a statutorily defined permissible purpose. Wow. So therefore, the court ruled that the dealer acted with a permissible purpose and it did not violate the FCRA. And as such, her claim was just dismissed. So she got owned yeah. pretty bad. Yes. Um, and that's that's like, OK, I mean, that makes sense. I, I totally get it. That's we've, what... we've talked on the show that you don't need a signature to pull someone's credit. Mm -mm. like and, and so we've had that question asked uh, where they like misquoted the Fair Credit Reporting Act. There's a signature needed somewhere. And I was like, that's, you know, it was a few shows ago, a few episodes ago, but I was like, that's not right. You don't need a signature. And then we brought up and discussed uh, pretty much a whole episode around permissible purpose. Promotional uh, promotional offers. They don't get your signature to send you a pre-approved offer in the mail. Debt collectors also no. don't get your signature yeah. when they pull credit to assess you for either attempts to collect the debt. And so, I mean, they just simply ruled that not only can she not limit the scope of the Fair Credit Reporting Act with this particular you know, mm -hmm. special request that she gave them, like, that's not bounding the law, uh, but even more so, um, if they have permissible purpose to pull her credit, they can pull her credit. And obviously they felt that the dealer had statutorily permissible purposes for purposes of financing a car for her. So I just thought that was like fascinating, you know? Um, wow. And she lost. Yeah, I okay. mean, I, I again, I I don't see any real damages. I, I don't see, now the explanation is obviously different, but I just don't see her winning something like this. Yeah, and you know the the court didn't even rule on the damages; they just mm -hmm. completely dismissed her claim that they violated the fair credit reporting. There claim. is no claim. So, so yeah, I mean that's the point of this week's show is is permissible purpose. You know, is is definitely pretty. It's restrictive, but it's also kind of broad in the sense that. Once you engage to do business with somebody that has the the uh, statutorily authority to uh, pull your credit, they can pull your credit without your signature. Um, so, uh, I mean, technically, you know, in in this day and age, you can you can do you can buy a home online, 
right? Mm-hmm. So you can get a mortgage online. Not well now you can just or what those new commercials you can just buy a car just over the phone. And so most <laughs> of those now technically would require some type of signature, but it's an electronic signature. So you know, like a real wet ink signature is just not really a thing anymore. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, guys, you know, if you're out there. First of all, don't 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 sue a car company like this because you're going to lose very clearly lose. Um, but second of all, I mean, you know, shopping for the best rate, shopping for the best deal, whether it be for a vehicle or a home, um, are are inquiries that are technically counting as one on your credit score. They're not going to impact your score negatively. You can safely go to a car dealership and have them run your credit. But I mean, you know, above and beyond that, it's like don't even do that. You know, the, the, the way that we counsel our clients is go to your local credit union or your local bank and get pre-approved with them. And then you don't have to do the dealership dance. You just go to the dealer and say, guys, I, I got this pre-approval letter. And it's literally like a blank check or a check for the amount of that you're up to qualified to. There are certain cases where they actually do hand you a cashier's check for a certain amount. Yeah. And so then you just literally go to the dealership and, and you're just negotiating you the price and you're not negotiating the financing. And so that's always a much easier way to go if you're going to go buy a car, right? Um, now, if you're going to go lease a car, I mean, they're not going to shop that with a lot of banks anyways, because if you're leasing a brand new car, which you really should only be leasing a brand new car, it's going to be leased through the finance arm of that company. So mm-hmm. if you're going to go lease a Hyundai, it's going to be leased through Hyundai Finance. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go lease Honda, you're going to go lease it through Honda Finance. And you you want to do that anyways, because they, they generally have the, the, the best deals. The best deals. Um, the dealers get incentives, too, um, on leases, you know, through the manufacturer or whatever. Uh, it's you want to lease. So technically, you know, if you're if you're going to go lease a car, you're probably not going to get your credit shotgunned. Um, even no. though, I mean, I mean, it can still happen. Not to say, uh, like, it, like a dealership can still potentially try to get you to buy the car. Like they can make an argument to say, hey, you know what? Don't lease it. We could get you a better deal if you buy it. Maybe discount it. Um, so then they could potentially seek financing for buying the car with other banks. I, I personally have. Uh have a uh, leased cars and purchased cars. And every once in a while, you'll get an honest dealer who says, hey, you know what? This company has better financing than us. We should go through them. Yeah. So you never know. So, you know, but it's just about it, anything else in life, especially anything else financial. It's about doing your homework, being informed, um, you know, and obviously these little tidbits of information are 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 just interesting. You know, if you guys are have been with us on this journey You've probably learned a lot of the ins and outs of, of credit and uh, it's stuff like this that that we follow that we like to understand so that we can then use this experience and this knowledge of a of a case that was litigated at some of the highest levels in federal court and the consumer lost um i, I completely agree with the the ruling and you know mm-hmm. we move on i i do have a question though i you know over the years i've seen where a consumer goes to a dealership to apply for a loan or buy a car or lease, whatever. And I understand that they will shotgun the credit. They will uh, obtain financing or, you know, they'll, they'll look for terms with men, multiple banks. But what happens when they're doing it 10, 12, 14 days after you've already left the dealership and they're still running your credit? Is that permissible? Probably. Probably because uh, the only reason why they would do that is because uh, the the bank that they approved you with didn't want to meet those terms. Mm. So so then they're going to try to seek financing somewhere else with another bank 
to meet the terms of the contract. Because look, when you go buy a car, you're not you're not leaving with the car without a signed contract. And the contract's going to dictate the price, interest rate, and payments. Sure. Right? But the contract generally is not going to dictate who the bank is. Okay. So most of the time, if you buy a car on a Sunday, the banks are closed. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is on Monday, they give the contract to the bank and the bank's like, you know what? We don't like this. We would not have approved it. So obviously the dealership took a little bit of a risk. It didn't pay off. And now the bank says, you know what? We'll do this, but we'll do it at a higher interest rate or we want more money down. But the dealer now has a signed contract, right? So the dealer now needs to honor this contract by trying to find another bank to honor the contract. And that's how they're, that's, that's what happens. And after two weeks, they're looking with other banks. And if nobody wants to touch it as the contract is, then they call uh, rolling it back or re they basically resend the whole deal. And the consumer is left to either accept the new terms or the dealer has to take the car back, give the consumer their money back. If there was a trade-in, they have to give them the car back. I had a situation like that with a family member Ooh. who two months later, they had to call the deal back because they couldn't obtain financing. And the, the client, my was actually a family member, they had tr uh, traded a car in. Um, and the dealer, the dealer took a huge hit. They had to make the payments on the car that she traded in. They had to give that car back. Um, and then they have to take the car back that the, the, the fam my family member had that was driving around for two months. It was a brand new car. Now, obviously it's not brand new because it's got two months worth of miles on it. Um, and and the, the my family member didn't pay nothing for the car. She had to get all of her money back, her down payment, her, her, her everything. Um, I could see that becoming a big problem too. Like if, if they turned in the lease, uh, I know that the dealership has to get rid of the lease or pay off the lease within 10 days of a, of obtaining it from the consumer right so you know if they're running inquiries two weeks later because uh they they haven't found financing for this new vehicle and they've already turned in their uh, the the trade-in man that yeah could no be, it's it's that could it, be a huge problem it definitely happens and it's basically a dealer that uh, rolled the dice you know took a little bit too much of a risk no you know they 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 don't want to do this obviously this is a very bad look for the dealer it's very stressful for them and they they, they have big exposure um, so that happens pretty often. Um, well, I've seen it happen. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how often it happens, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's technically the way it works. Um, do you, do you ha know what the window shopping period for automobiles is? For credit score models? Yes. Well, it varies based on the model, but somewhere between 14 and 45 days. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. So... But yeah, that's all I got for this week's show. What do you what did you think of that case? Uh I I think that I think that she read too much stuff on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, by the way. I, I I just you shouldn't always believe what you read and you should really study if you're gonna sue something like that, you really should study the rules and the laws and, and you know, because I mean that's just a lot of money spent for no reason. I mean, I'm assuming she had an attorney and the attorney made the arguments. Um, but yeah, I mean, this stuff is, uh, the, you can go, you guys, this is uh, searchable. You guys can Google this case and actually read the, the legal jargon and the actual docket. So it's, a uh, Emily Long, uh, versus Bergstrom victory lane. Um, so guys look that up. Uh, so that's it for this week's show guys. I'm Anselmo Moreno. I'm Richard David, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>